0: Malcolm, thanks a lot for joining us on Exploration Radio. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So one of the things that we often get asked by a lot of our listeners is they want someone to talk about the process of going and starting a a junior explorer mineral exploration company or even a mining company, really. Um, It's probably one of the questions we get asked most often by people. I guess we really wanted to take the opportunity to talk to you about, you know, you've been involved in the industry for a while. And you have had the chance to run uh, a number of mineral exploration companies as well. So we wanted to talk to you about your journey through this process and, you know, what did you learn, um, you know, what are some uh, lessons that you would pass on to others and what did you learn out of some challenging parts as well? Because I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what, what worked, what didn't, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of, of this process.
1: Yeah, look, I'm happy to share some of that journey for sure, because it's been, you um... It's been a fantastic journey. You regularly hear people talking about the roller coaster ride of mineral exploration and I think that's a wonderful description for it because there's some wonderful ups and there's some really harrowing downs, I guess. So, um, yeah, it's been really good and i um, certainly happy to talk through it and see whether, you know, my experience can uh, contribute to others thinking about their experience or or what they might do or which direction they might go.
0: So can we get you to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Okay, very briefly. Um, Well, I'm I'm, uh, fundamentally a geologist Always wanted to be a geologist from uh, you know a very, very young age. Uh, I decided that I wanted to become a geologist and I was influenced by things like um, a trip to Broken Hill when I was very young with my family um, and getting totally engrossed in, in the rocks. We had an underground visit and all these sorts of exciting things. And then also influenced by my grandfather who was a bushy. He was a sawyer and uh, so he used to take me out into the bush a lot and, and from there grew a a love for the bush and uh, a love for mineral exploration. Um, Studied at University of Queensland, and then I uh, did more study at University of Western Ontario in Canada. Worked for Western Mining for 23 years. Uh, The longest I was in any role at Western Mining was about four years. So I had a lot of change, a lot of variety. Was exposed to a lot of commodities, uh, different people. So the learning experiences there were rich. Um, And then I joined the junior sector in 2005, and um, from there I've been involved in basically four juniors. And, you know, 2005 to the present day, we've seen um, some pretty severe cycles in the resources sector, so it's been an interesting ride.
0: Hi, my name is Ahmad. Hi, my name's Steve, and this is Exploration Radio.
1: Podcast focused on the past, present and future of exploration.
0: You and I have known each other for a while and I met you very early in my career. And one of the pieces of advice which I really liked that you gave me was that you should always work in big companies uh, because they tend to be a great training ground for geologists. So can we talk a little bit about your career in WMC? Did you find that it was a good training ground as a geologist?
1: Absolutely. I I look back on my time at WMC with very fond memories. I I joined them after graduating from university and um, I was lucky. We were in an up cycle at that point and there were jobs around for geologists and I was offered a number of roles with other companies, big and small. Um, But at that time, all the advice I got from others was, if you get offered a job with Western Mining, take it. And um, I, I followed that advice. Um, my first job was at a mine that was in Three Springs Talc Mine, Open Pit Talc Mine.
0: Wow, that's, uh, that's really starting pretty hard, you know, talc mining. But,
1: well, I, I got there and uh, there were about three years of drill core and the mine manager said, log it and tell me what it means. So, <laughs> so it was uh, an interesting introduction. And, and from, after that, um, I worked uh, in the Great Sandy Desert at Nifty in the very early days of exploration. We were drilling out the Nifty Copper Deposit. And, you know, that, that was totally different to what I'd done for my first few years. So the, the learning experiences were wonderful. Uh, you were surrounded by very, very smart people and you couldn't help but learn. You were thrown into uh, very uncomfortable positions you know, we had these things called project reviews at Western Mining, where you basically had to get up there and justify your project. And uh, most of us, particularly when we were younger, were petrified of doing these things because, uh, you know, there were lots of very experienced, very smart geologists at the table. So you learned a lot and, uh, you know, I think it, it sort of made you tougher, but uh, but also, I think realizing you you know your your decisions had big impacts and big impacts on budgets and exploration success and all those things. Um, and then later periods in Western Mining, um, uh, I guess a big change for me was when I went to the Philippines. And I guess then I moved into a bit more of a management role. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you're surrounded by really smart people that that guide you, but also expect you to make decisions and. That was a really tough learning experience at the time, but I look back on it with with really sort of positive thoughts because I I learnt a lot. You were thrown in the deep end. Um, You know, someone said to me, I went to the Philippines with black hair and I left to the Philippines with grey hair. And (laughs) I think that's a good thing to remind yourself of. So, yeah, big companies, great experience. You learn a lot. They don't always do it right, but I think you learn from making mistakes as much as you do from having success. Um, but you're surrounded by these incredibly smart people and you can't help but, but uh, learn.
0: So do you think that big companies then are um, a good opportunity to learn that management side because you get exposed to so many different things?
1: Yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, you're, you're managing in a big company um, almost from the day you join. You're just managing at different levels and managing at different levels of complexity. You know, as a geologist, I guess your your first one of your first jobs often is to manage a group of drillers, and you know you learn a lot from doing that. And then, as some of some of us did, you move into a sort of head office type environment, and you find you're managing people that are in no way associated with exploration, uh, but you're, you're managing that relationship. So you learn a lot about management, and you learn a lot about what works, what doesn't work, and You know, if you use that experience properly, then it's easily translatable into other environments.
0: That's a really good point, that the fact that, you know, in a big company, you see a lot of the other cogs of the company as well, or the industry. uh, And I think getting that exposure is really, really worthwhile, not just from finding out what's important and what's not, but also the fact that you have the ability to network with a wide group of people as well, which can be quite beneficial later on in your career
1: as well? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, Networks in this industry are uh, critically important. You know, I I certainly manage my network very actively. um, And a lot of that network was built up by by your time in, in Western mining. I think a lot of people in the industry, particularly in Australia, but also in North America, they talk about, the, the network of ex WMC people that are out there that are either running juniors or involved in majors in in senior roles, and it's it's an incredible network and it's it's broader than geologists you know it's uh, lawyers and it's Mining engineers and its, it's others as well. So that, that network is very important. That network is very important for the whole industry to operate on because a lot of the industry operates on relationships rather than, uh, you know, necessarily contracts or whatever else um, might be sitting in the background. So, yeah, very very important network. The other thing is you do learn from from all sorts of different professionals, um, lawyers, mining engineers, you know, other, other people involved in the industry, challenge you just as much as uh, geologists. Now, I, I guess in the early stages of, of your career when you're by osmosis learning a lot from other geologists and they're, they're the most important people in the room, but that broadens as your career evolves.
0: Yeah, that's all right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned the, the WMC network. I think there's an official name for it, isn't there? The WMC mafia or <laughs> yeah. or am I the only one there?
1: That... Uh, that's what we call it for sure. So. Yeah, Yeah, there's no connotations and it shouldn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure the mafia does some pretty good things every once in a while as well. So why did you uh, leave WMC?
1: Um, I left WMC um, at the time that BHP um, acquired WMC. I was offered a good role in BHP, um, but I did feel, well, it was for two reasons that I didn't Continue there. I, I did feel like I needed a dramatic change. I did feel like I needed to challenge myself. And I didn't think challenging myself in BHP was quite the right fit. Also, geographic. I mean, I, I was in Melbourne, um, my kids were at school. Um, the role with BHP would have meant a relocation. Uh, I'd relocated every three or four years of my life prior to that. You know, at, at some point, it's time to, to modify your priorities. Um, but there was this underlying sense of excitement about joining the junior sector and really challenging yourself and seeing whether you can um, be successful and uh, do things in a way that maybe you can't do in a big company, I guess.
0: Yeah. because. Um, Right about the time that you left WMC is when you and I first met. And I remember something that we were talking about at that time where you made a comment that, you yeah, know, going into BHP, you might, uh, yeah, you were doing something that you already been know how to do, but just doing it slightly different and slightly better in that sense. But you wanted to do something different. My theory is that there comes a point where a lot of managers, you know, exploration managers in large companies where if they stay in big companies they're essentially just going to get better at what they're doing whereas when they jump to a junior market they get to do something quite different and this they somewhat prolong their career because of the learning aspect of it do you think i'm right in that hypothesis or that theory
1: um i'm I'm not sure i think with hindsight my comments to you maybe weren't quite right i think um you know I, i think um you just learn different things and there's different areas of growth and there's different opportunities and challenges in big companies versus small companies. I think early in your career, it's very good to be in large in companies. Picking the right time to move out and, and join the junior sector is often difficult. Um, probably don't get it exactly right, but, you know, you, you give it a go. What I think would be really interesting to, to see is, is how some of us in the junior sector would go if they returned to large companies. I think that'd be a really interesting experience. That's a good point. Um, you know, I think it'd be good to see. And, and there's a few examples out there, people I know that are doing that. So, uh, so let's see how it goes. I think with the right person, it would bring a lot of benefits to the large company. And, and for the right person, they would be very challenged in, in making sure that their, their new role in a large company uh, delivers you know, appropriate results. So. so let's
0: follow that thread a bit. What do you think you have learned outside of big company environment that you could now take back into a big company environment?
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a good way to look at it. Um, I do think that you know, to a certain extent in small companies, you've got to identify uh, how to cut through some of the um, the unimportant stuff, right? And you've got to get on with it because time is not your friend. You know, you really do have to, to move quickly. And we see that small companies move more quickly than large companies. So if you could in some way take that um, nimble approach and find a way for that to work in a large company, I think that would be positive. And maybe you know maybe you see it in some of these more entrepreneurial large companies, so I guess i I do have to qualify my statements by um, when you look at the industry, there are some large companies that do appear to be very nimble, and we can't group them all together, you know so maybe it's those companies that are ultimately going to be the most successful. I mean how do you define a big company you know you look at you look at a company such as northern star, which which you know has a huge market capitalization, very big but gee, they they work like a junior, right? So I guess what that says to me is that it is possible to take some of the learnings and the positives from a junior and take them back into a a big company. So long as that big company wants to remain at the forefront, wants to change, wants to do things better, you know, is continually improving.
0: So is that one of the things that you found challenging when you moved into a, a junior environment, the pace of uh. things that happen or the pace that you have to work at
1: oh no i think no you we're working at a pretty rapid pace at wmc (laughs) our backs were to the wall for a while there no but it's it's the it's the pressure for sure i mean it's all linked back to i think your ability to do things and your ability to raise money and um your day-to-day interaction with what the market values you at and what your shareholders think. You know, in, in WMC, you're not you're not going to get calls every day from shareholders saying what's going on and what's happening next. And you're also, you know, you're in a, a level of comfort where if you continue to do a good job, funds flow your direction, whereas it's a lot more difficult in a junior. So um, I find the... The volatility and intensity and pressure is probably more in a journey because you're being judged in real you know, real time. Um, you know exactly what the market thinks of the value of your company and you invariably don't agree. And uh, mm-hmm. and you're face-to-face with shareholders and during the good times that's wonderful, a lot of fun, and during the bad times it's uh, horrible and you'd rather do something else. <laughs> so it's not about pace as much as i don't know your, your pressures are closer i guess they're right there
0: i guess um i had this conversation with um like a colleague of mine and they they've made the jump between like junior and uh the major company and they likened it to yeah, you know, like in a major company you make a movie you have a lot of money you make stuff and then you do the test audiences later to find out whether it's good or not and then adjust as you go along Whereas in a junior company, it's more like stand-up comedy, you know, pretty much where you sit with the audience at every minute of your set.
1: Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like that. That's, that's right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's quite true. You know, it's real uh, seat-of-the-pants kind of stuff. But for those of us that are, you know, ad- adventurists uh, adventurous and optimists and explorers and uh, passionate, then that's kind of okay.
0: That's a fuel for those type of people. So, uh, you know, you get immediate feedback, so you know where you're going and what are you doing. So let's go back to the time where you're about to leave WMC. Were you looking for the challenge to go to a junior or is it just that the opportunity came up and you went along with it?
1: Um, I had made a decision that a junior was a likely path for me when WMC was being acquired by BHP. I guess I, I kept an open mind. A junior sort of made sense. And, and for me, the, the move across to, to Indefield was a very easy one because it was ex-Western mining people. I knew them very well. They were, they were friends as much as business colleagues. They talked to me about the role. So it was a very easy shift in terms of, you know, I knew where I was. I knew the people I was going to join. Um, it wasn't as if, you know, like a first day at school, everything's brand new, right? It was, uh, there was a little bit of familiarity there. So it was an easy shift.
0: So that's a good point, actually. It's about as easy a transition as you could really have.
1: I I think so, yeah. I mean, the projects were some ex-WMC projects, and so it was easy. Then The next move I made, though, from Inderfell into what was then Emperor but became Intrepid was different. I I didn't know anyone. (laughs) Uh, It was a very new environment. Their office was in Brisbane, so I was doing some commuting. And their projects were projects that I'd not had much association with. I'd had an pr- association with one of their projects, Vatacola in Fiji, because it was an XWMC project and I'd visited there once in the mid-80s or something. You know, I, I knew where it was. That's about it. So, But that was a much more challenging change. And uh, that, with hindsight, that was really good. I mean, I was really... Uh, I was put on the spot there. And uh, I think, you know, when you're under pressure and put on the spot, you have to perform. Um, so it was... was a good environment having a lot of pressure to deliver and I think you know most people when they're under a lot of pressure they they do deliver.
0: I want to talk a little bit about how you pick the companies that you join. Um, What do you base that decision on? Is it the people in the company? Is it the assets that they have or the projects that they have? How do you go about choosing the 700 or juniors that are out
1: there? Um, Yeah, it's a combination of those things. Um, If I look back at um, my move across to Emperor or Intrepid, it was two things. It was the people. So, you know, I I did do a reasonable amount of research on the people. And it it was the discussion I'd had with the CEO about what the challenges were. So, you know, some people like a challenge and and some not as much. But um, the the challenge of joining a junior that uh, had a lot of, issues that needed fixing was, was actually quite attractive, particularly when you're joining a group of good people. So you feel, you know, as a team, you can fix things up, make a difference and, and get it going. So in the case of Intrepid, it was those, it was the people and it was the, the big picture challenge. So would I be
0: right in saying that you did feel in some way that you had uh, some weaknesses when you went to Emperor? And those are the things that you wanted to build up on? Yeah. I mean, you're obviously saying you felt challenged by the role. Clearly you picked those roles because of the challenges that they gave you.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of normal. I mean, people look for professional challenges um, and, uh, and, and that's what keeps them motivated and satisfied. And so I think that, that's, that's quite normal. And certainly in, in, the, in the junior exploration space, you know, it's, it's all about challenges and wanting to dive in and, chase some of those and solve them so i think that's quite normal and widespread which which is probably why the industry is such a great industry and and you know, delivers incredible results and and um is is very buoyant particularly when commodity prices are high and not so buoyant when commodity prices are low but so the idea of challenge i think is uh, throughout the industry but that's that's definitely a key component i think for anyone that Moves from one environment to another. You look at those challenges. Um, part of it is you wanting to learn from those challenges, but part of it, I think, is you wanting to test yourself and see whether all that you've learned in in the preceding period can be applied to to solving those challenges. I think it would be a very different thing if you're on your own. I mean, you know, maybe I don't know if you compare it to a Solo sail around the world—I'd be not up for that, right? But when—but when you're there, supported by a good team of people, it's got this level of excitement that I find, you know, phenomenal and motivating. The right sort of projects, I think, get attracted somehow to that environment. Um, but it's—it's it's all about, yeah, the, the the people and the challenge that's there, and a feeling that you can you can do it.
0: I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, like talking to a few people like in the investment side, you can tell that there is this like polarity between, you know, like people judge companies based on the assets that they have, not necessarily the team that they have. Uh, and that's mostly in mineral exploration. Yet when you look at venture capital, and if you ever go pitch anything to venture capital, the first thing they ask you is how good is a team and how well do they work? So to them, like, you know, backing the right team is more important because they know they'll make something out of even an average idea because the team's really good.
1: Yep. I'm noticing more and more that people are wanting to hear about the team and the people and, and who's behind it. So that's that's definitely something that is being talked about a lot. Maybe that's a consequence of us coming out of a bear market where, you know, people um, probably have lost a lot of money through some of their investment. You know, maybe they thought the project was good, but the people that were managing it maybe didn't deliver or whatever. I don't I don't know. But there's, there's more and more discussion about the quality of the people. And I think it's that you know, that investors are um, maybe taking a much broader view of how they assess an investment. You know, they, they don't only bring out the spreadsheet and look at a discounted cash flow. They, they look at whether people can deliver and whether they've delivered before. And you know, a, lot of, a lot of the backing goes towards the people for sure.
0: So you've noticed a change in the last, um, let's call it five years or something like that, that there's now a change in the way that investors are looking at companies?
1: I'm sure it's always been there, but I have noticed a change, yeah. I think um, certainly with the people that I speak to, they place a lot of importance on it and they really want to understand what you've done before. And I also find they go away and do their homework and check on what you tell them. I've had some meetings where I've been presented with a questionnaire before I actually have the meeting and so it depends on how I answer the questionnaire as to whether they'll take the meeting <laughs> oh, far out Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. but you know they say they say things like well it's a good filter because if I don't get the questionnaire back I know I, I know I wouldn't have wanted to have met them anyway so there's all these sorts of things going on. You know, this is from the investment side, all, all these sorts of things going on where they're trying to filter what investments they want to take a close look at. And, and maybe it's because there are so many. I mean, these, you know, these guys do get lots and lots of people coming through the door. So they've got to filter it somehow. But yeah, people are very important and, and they do do their background checking.
0: So let's follow that thread again. So now we're talking about investors. Investment in a junior explorer is a huge part of what you have to do. So, how do you go about dealing with investors? Do you well? First of all, do you like that process?
1: Um, during a during a bull market, it's a lot of fun and it's good. And during a bear market, it's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, it really does depend on market sentiment, and um, it can be very, very difficult um, when the market is down. It is easier when the market's up. Uh, it it certainly is um, something that is part of the business. And, you know, sometimes you enjoy it more than others, but it's definitely part of the business. And it's, it's really good when, when you have a, an interaction with an investor that's very positive. I mean, it's a very motivational part of the job.
0: So am I correct in assuming that a lot of the the dealing with investors was something new that you had to learn when you went into junior companies? Like, Did you have much background in this space at all?
1: No, I think when I was at Western Mining, I had... Um, I did one analyst's tour with a, a couple of the senior guys at Western Mining when I was involved in nickel exploration there. So that was my first exposure to dealing with a bunch of analysts. You know, that was after being in the industry for 20 years. But then I learned a lot in, in my role at Interfield because uh, I worked closely with the managing director there. He took me on a number of road shows. He was very good at doing that. Um, he did it well. So my learning curve there was very, very steep. And so for For 12 months, you know, I I absorbed a huge amount and it was that that really, I I think, gave me the foundation to feel comfortable going out and doing it myself. It would have been very difficult if I had gone from Western Mining straight into a role where I had to do that myself Uh, and and that would have not been the right thing to do. To pair myself with someone that was good at it and that did it and that took me on those shows was exactly the right thing to do.
0: I guess like, you know, in big companies, you deal with a different – you deal with a different part of the investor pyramid as well, you know you're dealing with a little bit more institutional investors, or you know so the analysts are different whereas in the junior market, you run the gamut of dealing with people from you know brokers to you know investment houses to private equity firms uh even down to high net individuals that want to deal with you directly. The perception that I wanted, and you've done a really good job talking about it, is that the investment uh, crowd that goes into mineral exploration is not a homogenous entity. It's made up of a lot of different people, which sometimes have different requirements as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, my view is um, you speak to everyone, you take every meeting, you deal with everyone with the same level of respect, um, you find a way to... Find out what they want to know because it's it's different for different groups, and you know it's everything from one that invests you know, a couple of hundred dollars um, in stock in your company and is starting to invest in the resource sector, through to as you say, you know, big heavy hitting institutional funds and so in your sector you've got to be across them all and really I mean I I think you take every meeting you deal with them with a lot of respect and uh, you talk to them all the time as often as possible and uh, I think that you know that does a couple of things it tells them a lot about how you run a business and it tells them a lot about the industry because you want them to know a lot about the industry it's not just knowing about your company you want them to understand the industry.
0: Do you think like the average investor out there has a good understanding of mineral exploration as an industry?
1: Uh, there's no such thing as the average guy, I guess. Look, a lot of the people we speak to probably have a good understanding of the market generally, but not necessarily a good understanding of the technical aspects of exploration. It's a difficult one. I think uh, if they're at the point where they're becoming shareholders – I think they they generally do understand the market. I mean some of them have different expectations, you know, some of them might might be looking for a a small return, others might be looking for 10 or 20 fold return. There's a full range of levels of understanding of mineral exploration and that's why you know you've just got to speak to them as much as possible and but you do establish What level of understanding they have, and then you pitch your interaction with them at at that level, you know. And 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 it's you know you're you're always coming across people that know more about the area you're exploring than you do sometimes as well. It's surprising.
0: Do you think managing expectations is a large part of your uh, interaction with investors then as well? You obviously don't want to like sell them a story that's not going to be conceivable because they might not invest in something that you're going to do in the future.
1: Mm. Yeah. Managing expectations, very important. And, um, I find that a, something that I have to keep reminding myself of because, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person, pretty passionate about exploration. And sometimes I get ahead of myself really in, in uh, talking about what I think is out there or what I hope is out there, but you've got to find that fine line, right? With expectations where you, you get people excited like you are, but, you have to qualify it yes, managing expectations is very difficult. I've made lots of mistakes along the way in um, creating expectations that haven't necessarily delivered on, so uh, you just kind of hope you don't make the same mistake twice.
0: So do you think there's a, an appetite in like the established investment route so like I'm talking institutional and things like that in backing exploration, and if there isn't, why do you think that's the case?
1: Uh, so institutional I guess that's a big range and again you've got to understand the market and you've got to match your business for what's happening in the market at the time. I don't think you can hope to beat the market, you've got to work with the market. During times like we're in at the moment then yes there's a lot of interest from formal funds to look at a component of their investment portfolio to be in um, smaller companies that are higher risk but um, potentially higher reward. That much harder when when the market is not as healthy as it is at the moment. And, you know, we went through that. I mean, with Sunstone, we went through that period. Uh, we had a, a really good copper project in Sweden and we thought it was exactly right for the times two or three years ago. And that copper was over $3 a pound, and we thought, All right, this is a project that we can get in and develop. But what we didn't see coming was copper going to $1.90 a pound and our company being a single-asset, small, pre-development copper company. And, you know, we kept drilling, and we delivered some exceptional results into the market, very good results, but we didn't get any market traction. And with hindsight now, we possibly would have done it a bit differently and that's a good example of us not working with the market. We were trying to go against the market, and that's you know very very difficult. So yeah, to, to come back to your question, um, in the current market, there is a lot more interest out of bigger investment groups in having part of their investment exposed to junior explorers. And I think you know the more they see of the success that's delivered, I mean the more they see of things like the Nova discovery and 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 the the uh, performance of Sirius during that process, then the more they see of those sorts of examples, the more willing they are to have a component of their um, investment dollars exposed to that. And, you know, I think, interestingly, a number of them are enhancing their ability to assess these opportunities. You know, there's there's analysts being employed in these groups now, whereas two or three years ago, they were letting go mining analysts. So it's, it's cyclical. So, you know, they're, they're now coming back into the industry. So I think during the good times uh, you you see more interest and and I guess that kind of makes sense.
0: So I guess I want to go back to a point you made. Um, So as the market changes, do you as a managing director of a company have to change your pitch to the investors as you go along? Like, you know, do you have to continuously read the tea leaves, so to speak, to figure out what's going on?
1: Um, I think, you know, yes, you do. It's all about strategy in a junior. You know, strategy in a large company is, Quite a formal process, and there's there's lots of process built around it, whereas strategy in a junior is more strategy on the run, so you do need to adjust your strategy depending upon what 's happening in the market absolutely and um, I think you see a lot of juniors out there that that do adjust it you know some adjust it too far one way, and if others don't adjust it, you know they they potentially have trouble surviving so yeah you do so you, you do have to understand the market and uh, you, you do have to adjust what you're doing to to match that you know because look if you're successful in a discovery that discovery will have a different value depending upon what phase in the market you're in so if you're in a very buoyant phase and you make a discovery then it has a higher value than if you weren't in a buoyant phase so if you can align all of those different aspects, you will provide a greater return to your shareholders than if they're not aligned. Even though you can't influence the market, you can work with it.
0: So in saying that, do you think success solves um, a lot of the investor loyalty problems? Like, is it easier for investors to join in when you've been successful previously?
1: Yes, definitely. I think, um, well, yeah, I, I mean, certainly I think any of us would more comfortably back someone that's had success in the past than maybe someone that, that hasn't. I shouldn't say someone, that's the wrong thing to say. A group, because it's, no, it's, it's never someone, uh, it's a group. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're more likely to back someone that's delivered that success in the past. But the pressure's always on, right? If, if you're part of a group that has delivered a great success, people tend to forget that fairly quickly if you're not delivering success in your new venture.
0: That's right. You're only as good as your last project, essentially. So yeah, that always rides on you as well. So our industry is notorious in the fact that it has these investment lulls. I think you've now been through a few of them. So how, how do you survive them? Do you have any strategies? Do you find it tough? Do you, uh, do you get better at handling the the disappointment that comes through these investment lulls?
1: Um, I guess you're not as surprised um, because you sort of know that you know they happen. Well, in our business, whether you're in a big company or a small company, um, you cut costs. <laughs> Pretty simple. I remember very early on in my career, actually, with a director of Western Mining at some function, commenting on the weak price of nickel and saying, "Oh, well, the checkbook is now closed." You know, so it's it's kind of similar. With us, um, you you cut costs so that you can survive through the the difficult periods because you do actually know that it's not going to last forever. Um, hopefully, you'll outlast any trough. And we've we've had to do that. Companies I've worked at, you know, we've cut salaries, we've um, had to let people go, which is never something you want to do. Um, we've had to, uh, you know, let projects go. Uh, you just got to do it. And it's, it's, it's survival and uh, just one of those things. So, again, that's where you've got to you know, understand the market and read the market, and um, no point in going against it because you can't raise money and, and we rely on shareholder funds. So, when you can't raise money, uh, you've got to stop spending it.
0: So, let's talk about the opposite side. Do you think uh, major companies could do more to support junior companies?
1: I mean, my mind immediately goes to to joint ventures and things like that. And joint ventures are really difficult things, I find. If you can have a choice between having a joint venture or, or holding it yourself, you, you hold it yourself. How
0: so? What do you find challenging about the joint venture part?
1: Well, some joint ventures, and I, I find that those that are built on generally a long relationship or those that are built on a genuine relationship where both parties are really committed to making it work and both parties understand what the other wants out of it and they're aligned then they work they work well and there are some examples of those for sure but sometimes joint ventures often joint ventures just end up in a shit fight you know and and it's because your your expectations or or your what you want out of it deviate from one another and that's that's not a fun time because you, you don't want to be managing a joint venture by referring back to the contract, in my view. You want to manage a joint venture through, through a relationship. You know, I think early on, if you can establish very clearly what the expectations are and what you each want to get out of it, then um, it can work. And, you know, I think there are some... I mean if I look around at some larger companies that are well funded I sort of have a you know a list in my own mind of who I'd happily work with and maybe a list of those that I'd be a bit more careful with I suppose you know and it it's all about this sort of respect in a joint venture it's uh, it's more than just the contract that's written on I mean I don't think a joint venture contract ever addresses all the issues I think um there are some some companies out there that you'd rather work with and and maybe the big companies are wanting to put themselves in that position as much as, uh, anyone else, right? Because if, if they put themselves in that position, there's more opportunities for them. And if, if junior companies, you know, have, have good projects and, uh, have had a good track record with joint ventures, then, then they're more likely to get partners as well. So that's, that's the way it works.
0: Do you think that dynamic changes if you uh, do a joint venture with another junior company?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think they are um, because usually the expectations and the end goal are um, more similar, if that's the right way to put it. I've had good experience of working with other juniors um, un- under joint ventures, generally speaking. But again, I mean, it goes back—it goes back to the relationship and making sure that while you may want involvement in in the technical aspects of a project, there's more to it than that, and you've got to satisfy yourself that the other aspects, the relationship aspects and the legal aspects and all of those other things that make up a joint venture are something you're comfortable with.
0: So one last little thread that I want to talk about is in the past couple of companies that you've worked, you've worked with roughly the same group of people. Uh, Is that by choice?
1: Most definitely. Um, At Sunstone, absolutely. Very proactively uh, managed to get that group of people together. And so... And it's a, it's a very it, so it's a diverse group of people and complementary, and I actually think it's a really good story because I mean as you know I've worked with Bruce Rawlac for for decades and he's uh, arguably the best copper gold geologist in the world in my opinion and um, and a great explorationist and uh, so you know I, I, I would work with Bruce any day of the week and and hopefully I will for a long time and then. At other companies, I've met other people, and so the group at Sunstone um, includes some of those other people, and they're not geologists, one's a mining engineer who I worked with closely at Intrepid, um, and then the other, our CFO, worked with that mining engineer. So it's this classic example of, of um, people attracting one another, and they fit together, and there's wonderful respect and because you sort of understand one another the ability to have constructive discussions and challenge one another i think is easier and you know a few other things i mean in in the in the sunstone office here in brisbane it's open plan and so we started off when we moved into this office, we said, oh, okay, you know, we better have a weekly meeting so that we get together and just make sure we're all on the same page. Well, we've never had one because it's an open plan office. So we have a weekly meeting every hour, if you like, you know, where we just talk to one another and it evolves into a, a great discussion. And We know intimately what one another is doing. So you work with people that you have a lot of respect for and that you know how they work. And, and I think um, you try to do that very much as a team. It's not just one-on-one. It's, it's that team is complementary. Uh, the skills are complementary. Not everyone takes the same view and they can share a different view and the others respect it. So yeah, very proactive. And uh, that's what we wanted to put together here at Sunstone and seems to work well so far. So the
0: converse of that is what happens when you get the wrong people inside companies? Do they have the capacity to torpedo essentially what you do as a company?
1: Yeah, look, work, working with the wrong people is um, not a happy place to be. And so, like all things in business, it's something you've got to deal with. How you deal with it can vary on the circumstances. When you're a junior, you've got a lot of people that you're responsible to, shareholders, um, others in the, the exploration team, boards of directors, um, stakeholders, all of those. And so you've got to, if there's a problem with the people you're working with inside of the company, you've got to find a solution that uh, doesn't compromise your relationship with all those other affected parties um, so much. So it, it's really important to try to get it right in the first place. And if you don't get it right, you've got to solve it. Um, invariably, you go different directions.
0: So in junior companies, you often have small teams. How do you uh, solve the problem of you know, being limited by what you can do or what you know Like, do you use a network of people around you? How do you get around that problem?
1: Yeah, and it is a problem. And I do quite often, actually, think about how differently I would operate if I was working in an environment that was comparable to, for example, what we had at WMC. Because, you know, there I was just day to day surrounded by these incredibly high intellect individuals that were continually educating me, if you like challenging and, and, you know, coming up with all these wonderful ideas and concepts and, um, and not just geologists but others, you know, uh, lawyers, mining engineers, others. so So it is a problem in juniors that you don't have that really healthy environment and I guess it comes back to our networks where we try to manage our networks as strongly as we can so that you do find that you interact with those people periodically. And uh, they're, they're very good reality checks. You know, they, you listen to them, they, they make you go away and think about what you might be doing right or wrong.
0: So is that something you consciously do?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Interacting with some of those people is very, very important to you being able to make good decisions when you're under pressure to make good decisions. So you draw on all of that when sometimes you're sort of somewhat on your own making a decision.
0: So we're pretty close to the end of our interview. So we'll do some rapid fire questions. Uh, what lessons would you give someone that's about to start on their journey being part of a small a junior explorer? What are some key things that you would tell them about based on your experience?
1: Yeah, um, certainly, you know, find someone uh, to, to essentially be your mentor and uh, rely heavily on them, and just continually uh, ask them questions or check your opinions. I think that's important. The other thing is, um, as I said, take every meeting, respond to every inquiry from a shareholder or a prospective shareholder. Just work really hard on that on that network uh, because it pays dividends later on. You know, it's it's very very important, and um, watch the market improve your potential to understand the market.
0: Yeah, cool. I think that's pretty good. So this is a question we ask all our guests. What is something that you think needs to die in exploration? It could be a concept, an idea, could be a physical thing. What is something that you think we should jettison out of mineral exploration?
1: I guess one thing that um, I would like us to not do is is just have a group of geologists around the table when we're making decisions on exploration. Broaden it wherever possible. And I say that based on my experience of working particularly with mining engineers who look at an ore body in a different way to what an exploration geologist might look at it. So what's to jettison? Don't limit yourself to a group of geologists when you're in an exploration environment.
0: I think that's great. That's a really good one. Conversely, what's something that you think we should keep in exploration at all costs? What's something that we have to maintain as part of our industry?
1: Yeah, you know, something I do find myself referring back to and talking to others about is, is this whole business about um, you know ha- have confidence, and it's something that Roy Woodall uh, instilled in us at Western Mining, and you know you you build a team and you have confidence in them, and and you maintain that level of confidence and motivation and uh, it in most cases will deliver success. To qualify that, you cannot let yourself get in a position where you believe your own rhetoric. If you're promoting something, and this happens a lot in juniors, if you're promoting something and you start to believe your own rhetoric, you, you don't look critically enough at the information that you're analyzing. So, and I've been in situations where we've been in a team where they've you know, the leaders particularly have believed their own rhetoric and it uh, doesn't work. So have confidence, um, you know, motivate one another. It's a lesson that, that Roy Woodall instilled in us and it, and it applies equally today as it did 40 years ago.
0: I think that's a really good, uh, that's a really good lesson um, and it's probably a pretty good point to end on. Thanks a lot for joining us, Malcolm.
1: Thanks very much. Pleasure. Really good talking.
0: Exploration Radio is brought to you by Stephen Amad. Our producer and all-round go-to guy is Dan Hershowitz. This podcast is recorded at the Perth Music House. If you'd like to know more about Exploration Radio, check us out on explorationradio.com. Or you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And as always, if you like this podcast, please review us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, let's keep exploring.